Hey everybody, Will Hauk here with the Roots, Rednecks, and Radicals radio show and podcast, and I have a really special show for you today. I've been a fan of the Dropkick Murphys for a really long time, since the late 90s, and uh, just always loved their, their sound, the lyrics that deal with uh, a, a lot of uh, uh, working class issues and stuff like that, and uh, the band recently recorded an, an album of Woody Guthrie songs, where they took some, some old Woody Guthrie lyrics and um, uh, put them to music, and I had a chance to, to, to to chat with Tim, their guitar player, about this album, this project that they did, and man, what a pleasure it was! It was so cool to just like talk to them about, talk to him about, um, you know, the 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 project. And um, I'm a huge fan of Woody Guthrie as well, and uh, you know, obviously they are also learned some new stuff about some songs I didn't know. Um, some of their older songs have been uh, Woody Guthrie um, songs like "Shipping Up to Boston" and um, "Going to Be a Blackout Tonight." Uh, so that was cool to learn and uh, just had a really fun conversation with Tim um, about their music, about Woody and his lyrics, about the whole project and um, all that stuff. So really, really excited to share this uh, this conversation with you. But before we get to that, I wanted to remind you to check me out on Instagram and Facebook. Head over there and give me a follow if you haven't followed the show already. I keep all the updates about uh, new episodes. I've been writing some articles for different publications, um, uh, things like that. And, uh, you know, just kind of keep in touch with you about what's going on in the Americana Roots folk music world. Um, also, if you have any questions or you'd like to share some ideas with me um, about the show, feel free to send me a message on social media or uh, send me an email, willhauk at gmail.com. Uh, that's a good way to contact me and uh, I'd love to hear from you. Um, also, wherever you're listening to this, whether it's Apple Music or Spotify or, or whatever the case may be, uh, make sure to, to, to uh, like and subscribe to the show. Every platform has a different thing. There's like a heart or a follow or this or that, you know, or whatever you're listening to this on just head over to the the thing and uh, follow the show. It really does help me out. I'm sure you've heard the word algorithm a million times, but um, but is, it is the thing that drives um, everything online these days. So uh, if you like the show, you like the uh, interviews I've been doing and uh, all that kind of stuff, uh, make sure to subscribe to the show. Also, um, there's going to be some new stuff coming out. I've been uh, kind of heavy on interviews lately, and I'm going to be kind of branching out, um, uh, still doing interviews, but um, I have a bunch of different uh, show ideas that I just haven't had time to get around to lately, and I'm excited to uh, to, to, to get back to that. Um, uh, so yeah, so be on the lookout for um, those new uh, series and um, see what's coming up around the bend. So there you go. Well, hey, let's get to this show. The Dropkick Murphys have been fusing Celtic folk sounds with punk rock for over 20 years. Their musical style has always been inspired by working class issues with songs like I'm Shipping Up to Boston, the state of Massachusetts, and Worker's Song. Recently, the band took on a new project of reworking unpublished Woody Guthrie lyrics and giving them new life. The band met in his home state of Oklahoma to record. The result is their first all-acoustic album that blends their musical styles with the folk hero musings of Woody Guthrie. I had a chance to chat with the band about this project. I hope you dig it. Well, the new album is called This Machine Still Kills Fascists, and the lyrics were taken from songs from Woody Guthrie poems. And I was wondering if you could just tell us a little bit about where the idea for this album came from. Sure. Uh, you know, back in back in the early 2000s, um, uh, a little bit before I actually joined the band, um, uh, uh, Dropkick had been contacted by Nora Guthrie, Woody Guthrie's daughter. Um, she had, had she had um, uh, a whole 
cache of, of Woody's lyrics that were never put to music, and she decided she wanted to sort of start um, uh, seeing if there were other bands that uh, that could that could sort of finish the song, so to speak. And um, and so Ken initially went down there, and I think he grabbed like two songs. One was called "Gonna Be a Blackout Tonight," and then the other one was "Shipping Up to Boston." And, uh, so those two got turned into dropkick Murphy's slash Woody Guthrie songs. And then, and then after that, it was just always, we would always just sort of talk about, um, you know, wouldn't it be cool if we could do some more. And then, um, you know, uh, our singer Al's mother, um, uh, fell ill and was diagnosed with dementia and, and, um, he was going to have to take some time off to, um, to take care of her so we thought what what better time to sort of do this sort of tangential uh dropkick thing where we could get some some woody guthrie lyrics and put music to it and, and do a whole album of it um and then uh you know it was also it was also fairly fortuitous because of you know just of the certain times that we're living in you know right right Absolutely. Yeah. And that's a, I was actually going to ask you about that. You know, the, the, the band has always had this, this bent towards working class people and, um, that we're living in these weird times, especially when it comes to the working class. I was wondering if you could talk about the band's connection to Woody Guthrie and, and the politics of his lyrics and the, the social commentary and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, he, he was, uh, he was certainly not in like the mainstream. He was a bit of a rabble rouser, you know what I mean? And, mm -hmm. uh, and, um, really felt that, that he was, uh, he was speaking, you know, um, or that he was singing about, about people treating other people poorly, essentially, you know? And, and I, and I think it, it comes down to, to that as a, at its basic point is just, you know, how, how, how everyone treats one another. Um, so, I mean, one of the uh, one of the initial reasons that Nora allowed us to use his lyrics was we were brought to her attention by her son Cole, um, who we've since become uh, good friends with, and um, and and they were both sort of of the opinion that we shared this, a similar spirit to Woody Guthrie, right, right, um, in our music and our message and everything. So it's uh, you know it was it was it was kind of an easy thing for us. To, uh, those words are, are the type of words that, that we would be writing as well. You know, obviously not, not as great as Woody Guthrie, but, um, you know, we're touching on the same themes. So, uh, so it just, it, it seemed like it would, it would be something that would, that would really work, you know? For sure. Yeah. When I first heard about this project, the first song that came to mind was Worker Song, because um, that's just that's one of my favorite um, Dropkick songs. And it, it just ties in oh, nice. to that that theme so well, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So um, you collaborated with some other artists, too. Um, uh, Nikki Lane and Elvin Evan Felker of Turnpike Troubadours. Um, I was wondering how those partnerships came about for this album. Um, well, 
as far as uh, Turnpike Troubadours, um, they were, they're kind of like, uh, they struck us as sort of the, the uh, uh, being in a, in a similar spot um, as we are, as far as, you know, um, you know, fairly doing well, but like not everybody's heard of you and stuff. And, and they're a great band. And mm-hmm. Evan uh, is originally from Okima where, where Woody is from. Hmm. Um, and so that all seemed to, to line up pretty well. And we're fan, we're fans to begin with. Right. And then with Mickey Lane, um, Ken had found this one song that was a duet. Um, it was about a, you know, a man and wife. And so we knew we needed a female voice, mm-hmm. and um, and so we 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 did some some looking around, and and uh, when we when we heard Nikki, we knew that that was that just was the perfect voice for it. Um, so that uh, they came about fairly organically, I guess. That's great. That always seems like the best way. Yeah, her voice um, is just a great like blend of because she has such, just a pretty pure voice, and it's it's a good like counterpoint to um, to the rest of the stuff that's going on in that song. It yeah, works really it works well. great. She's got a beautiful voice, and she's got a little bit of there's a little bit of that you know rap to it and everything. I uh-huh. thought it turned out so great. Absolutely, yeah, that's a good one. Um, I also really like the song "Talking Jukebox," and I just thought it was fascinating how. Um, the song, the lyrics seem to kind of juxtapose the technology of Woody's day with music, and he was very critical of it. Um, but then also, when you put it in our current context with our our technology with streaming music and apps that are tracking us and stuff like that, I just thought that whole thing was was just super interesting to to, to listen to. I never, I never even thought about that, but you're absolutely right as far as the like tracking us, oh. and, like apps tracking us and stuff like that. Huh. Never even occurred to me, but you're absolutely right. <laughs> I thought that was intentional. <laughs> yes. No. I mean, I think when Ken, I think when Ken found those lyrics, uh, it struck him as like, uh, you know. We're all uh, people, people like us who listen to music, we're all, we're very tied to the songs that we love, you know, and we think we, we, we feel like a lot of times we feel like our favorite songs sort of represent a part of who we are. Maybe sometimes it's a part of who we are that we don't like to talk about. And I think, uh, and I think that's sort of what Ken saw in those lyrics, um, and, uh, and why he picked that one. But, uh, but yeah, I agree. I, I was, I was, uh, so happy with the way that that one came out. That's another sort of, that's one of those weird, creepy acoustic ones that when we finished it, I was like, I can't believe that's us. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. That's a, it's a good one. Well, um, another song, two sixes upside down, um, kind of reminds me of uh, man in black from Johnny cash. Um, just this connection to the, the outlaw world and, uh, the, the marginalized and, and stuff like that. And, uh, I'd love if you could talk about that song a little bit. Run away with another man The cards come round the table Lord, I had such a worried mind My stack of gold I wasted away And I lost about 99 
Yeah, sure. Um, that one, that one came uh, apart. Uh, uh, that one came about fairly quickly, and it was actually towards the end, right at the end of when we were wrapping up all of the writing, um, uh, right before we went to the studio in Tulsa, um, and uh, the sort of um, I don't know the the. I mean, it's a it's a great you know it's a like you said it's a great sort of Johnny Cash almost Folsom Prison style story, you know of of a guy going to jail. So that's nice, you know. You, it's nice to have a nice narrative going, and then uh, and then musically, you know, obviously there we 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 uh, we um, we went into that realm as as well with sort of the rhythm of it and everything like that. Um, that one was one uh, for whatever reason that just sort of came out. Like we just, we kind of figured out the chords and, and it just sort of uh, presented itself that way. Um, uh, and then I spent a little time adding, you know, weird sounds to it and everything uh, after the fact, but uh, uh, that one came about fairly organically. And yeah, that's probably my favorite song on the album. Um, between the lyrics and the music and it just uh it sort of sets a very it sets the tone that we were looking to set you know absolutely yeah were, were most of the songs written in the studio or did you guys write them beforehand or how, how did that process work we had the lyrics like ken ken got a bunch of lyrics and so he he basically went through the ones that uh that he felt would work the best and um uh, you know, we're not, that's the, the way that we work normally is, um, you know, typically either Ken will come in with like a little piece of a melody and we'll find the music for it. Or sometimes an entire piece of music is written and then, uh, a melody and words are put over that. Um, on this one, a lot of times on this one, Ken would read the lyrics and like either, uh, either a rhythm of how the words should go or a, a melody of, of, of how the words should go would, would sort of stick in his head as he was reading them. And, uh, and he would tr try to communicate that, um, to us as best as possible. And then, and then, uh, you know, we would sort of, um, just build the music around that. And mostly everything was done before we went into the studio as far as laying out the maps for, uh, for the music. Right. Um, I think there's a couple, there are a couple of songs that we did that we worked out when we were in the studio, we ended up recording two albums worth of songs. Um, hmm. and, um, and there's actually, we're going to put out another one at some point. Um, so there were some songs that came together in the studio, but most of them we had a decent handle on before we went in there. Um, but because it was a whole new thing for us doing like an entirely acoustic record, um, it was funny. We went in heading to the studio. I was like, oh, these are all in pretty good shape. And then we got to the studio and we realized like things we didn't think about, like uh, dynamics that are easy to, to make happen with electric guitars aren't as easy to make happen when you're just playing acoustic stuff. And mm -hmm. so we had to figure out some some interesting and clever ways to sort of usher in the different parts and, and sort of make dynamics and everything. So that, that was a different uh, aspect of it 
that I wasn't, that I didn't really think about before we got into the studio, but once we got there and it presented itself as something that we were going to have to focus on, um, it was, it was a lot of fun. Cause when you would, when you would figure out the, the answer to the problem that you had just come up against, this doesn't sound like a, you know, there's, there's no power going from this verse to this course or whatever, mm-hmm. whatever it is. As soon as we would solve those problems, it was like, yeah, like it, it was, <laughs> it, the excitement was great. So that was like a whole new experience uh, of recording for us that I thoroughly enjoyed. Um, Cause when you would, you would sort of come up against one of those walls where you're like, this isn't working. And then you would figure out how to make it work. It was, it was great when that would happen. That's fantastic. Is the is the this this album? I mean, uh, you guys haven't put out any other acoustic stuff like this before, have you? Like, at, at least this intensely. Uh, no, we've done like some one-off acoustic stuff, but right. um, and you know we've done we've done acoustic performances, but in those cases, it's been a lot like, uh, all right, well, we'll play the song on acoustic guitars, you know, and and uh, you know this album and this tour, it was more like, well, we got to make we got to make it like that's what these songs are. So we just had sort of had to approach it in a different way. Um, but like I said, it was a lot of fun to do that. And, and, uh, and certainly rewarding when, like I said, we would come up against something that was causing the problems and we'd figure out how to fix it. Right. Absolutely. So, uh, one other song that I really liked on the album is, is the last one. It's called Dig a Hole. Not only it features uh, the voice of Woody Guthrie, but it's also a statement about fascism. And uh, given our current political environment, there's so much to process there. I was wondering if you could give us a little bit of context for that song and, and uh, why you guys wanted to uh, put that one on the album. Yeah, sure. Well, I mean, he was obviously, Woody was obviously famous for, uh, you know, he had that originally that sticker on his guitar and then eventually uh, he had uh, he had an acoustic with a painting on there that said this machine kills fascists now that you know I think was more of uh, you know uh, uh, talking about his music and and uh, and the and and you know the his lyrics and things like that um, uh, so you know, I've, I've, I've done interviews where people try to, people try to press me on like that being a violent statement and it's, and it's not, you know, uh, Oh yeah. yeah. It's just talking about, it's, it's obviously just talking about the, the, the music and reference to what he got through and everything. Um, right. But, uh, you know, um, uh, so that, that was a very dig a hole was, was a very sort of, uh, 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 there, there was a, a very close connection between that famous Woody image of his guitar and this song. Now, uh, we, we heard the song and, um, and, uh, Ken actually had the idea of what if we were to sort of, we have that, that tape of Woody singing this song. What if we were the band on it? And we essentially didn't do it with Woody. Um, and, uh, when that worked out, how it did, it was, it was so great. And we did two, there was like two versions of that. We, that we did one, the one that you hear is just us, you know, basically vamping on a D chord the whole time while Woody sings the melody and Ken sings the melody and stuff. And, uh, and then we, there was another version where we like basically made like almost not a dropkick song out of it, but there was like chord changes and things like that. 
it was a much more complicated thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, immediately we were like, that's the one, the, the one where we just hang on that one chord. That's the one, you know? Um, so that was an interesting thing to do. Um, and, uh, and yeah, the, the words are certainly very powerful in the sense of, uh, you know, talking about fascism and, and, uh, and, and, uh, and how he feels about it, obviously. Um, but again, it's, you know, that, for us was a big connection to to the famous Woody Guthrie images of his guitar and this machine kills fascists, et cetera, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's interesting too. Um, uh, Pete Seeger, who is, you know, a good friend of Woody Guthrie's and, and a big fan of his music on his banjo, he wrote, I forget the quote exactly, but it's like, um, this machine, uh, surrounds hate with love and forces yeah. it to surrender. And right. I yep. thought that was such an interesting, like, it's like the same message, but he, he was so peaceful, you know, and like, he just wanted to like, yes, you know, absolutely. You know, it's funny is, uh, our, our banjo player, Jeff is, uh, is sponsored by this company, Deering Banjos. Mm, yeah, yeah. And, uh, for this tour, we mess around with a six string banjo every once in a while. And for this tour, they sent him a six string banjo with that on the, on the, the head. Oh, wow. So that, that was cool. That's awesome. That's yeah. cool. Yeah, that's that's like the premier banjo company. That's that's a pretty. I know, right? Cool. <laughs> I was at a uh, bluegrass festival this summer in in uh, in, in California, and, and they were there, and and they had a whole setup, and they were doing stuff with banjos, and so it was really really cool to just kind of talk to those guys and whatnot. Yeah, and they do great work too. Like we've, you can as you can imagine, we've we've been through a lot of, especially when we were trying to figure out all of the Irish instrumentation stuff, um, you know, we had our hands on a lot of, a lot of weird, of those weird instruments that were not up to the challenge of being, being put through the ringer every night. And, uh, but those guys definitely make instruments that we can, that we can use practically. That's yeah. for sure. That's it. I actually had a, a side, kind of a side note question about, I was watching a video of you um, t- talking about how to do doing a run through of one of your songs. And you mentioned that the songs yeah. that are in that have a bagpipe in them, you do in B flat and um, yeah. for the tuning. Um, but I noticed that you had a capo on the third fret and so that, and you're playing a G uh, to, to be in B flat. But yeah. I was wondering, do you do that to keep the chords open uh, just with like the sound of your distortion or like you could do that with bar chords. Why, why capo it? And is it just so you can have open chords? Yeah, that's a good question. We've always, because we sort of come from Irish music and a little bit of country stuff and they tend to use more open chords, Mm-hmm. Um, that's sort of what we tend to do. It, 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 uh, I don't know if it was ever anything super intentional, um, so much as when, uh, you know, 20, however many years ago, when we started to mess around with capos, um, you know, it's, it just sounds, everything just sounds different. Um, yeah. and I'm a big fan of sort of like differentiating, uh, sound so like if we're playing a, a a song like that with the bagpipes that's either in B flat or E flat, um, like uh, if when we're when we're writing the song, I'll look over and see where James has naturally put his capo either on the first or the third fret, mm-hmm. and then whatever he does, I'll do the opposite, okay. um, just so we have like different voicings and stuff. Because yeah. when you you know you can certainly do those bar chords and everything. Um, but especially when you got two guitar players, if you can, if you can, you know, if you're doing a song in B flat and I'm playing in the A position with the capo on the first fret and James is playing in the G position with the capo on the third fret, those 
two chords are going to have different sort of overtones and things like that. So we really like to sort of incorporate all of those things and just to make it sound super full and, and, um, and then, uh, you know, um, I've always been a big sort of, uh, uh, old country fan and stuff. So I, I kind of learned just playing open chords and stuff. Uh, and, um, and so that's just sort of what we tend to do, I suppose. Yeah. I find that stuff fascinating. I was uh, um, reading about ACDC one time and they were talking about the two guitar players doing the same thing, playing the same chord in different parts of the neck. Um, just so you have those right. layers, you know, and uh, exactly. Yeah. 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 It's uh, and it's little stuff. And then, I mean, Granted, your average person who's listening to it isn't going to notice something like that, you know, mm -hmm. but uh, but but that's sort of the beauty of it. You know, it, it, it would sound different if it, it was, sometimes the song calls for two guitar players play the exact same thing, you know. Right. Um, and uh, and sometimes it's nice to have to have those, like I said, the sort of different overtones and things like that. So that's typically why we'll why we'll uh, we'll tend to do that. Um, and then, uh, and then there's sometimes where it's like a case of, uh, one, like I like to do, I like to play, uh, melodies within the chords, you know, and, uh, capos will help that, especially if we're doing a, a song that could be flat or, or, a, a, a sort of strange key like that, where you wouldn't normally, if you're barring it, you can't really move your fingers around that much, you know? Yeah. Um, so I guess it just, it just works for what what we try to do. Yeah, cool. Well, th thanks for uh, thanks for answering that. It was just kind of bouncing yeah, around. Yeah, no, cool. Nobody ever asks me questions like that, so I'm happy to answer them. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, awesome. Well, you guys are going to be playing in Reno on uh, November 11th, and uh, I was wondering if we, we can expect to hear some of these songs um, at the show. Oh yeah, some of these uh, some of these Woody songs. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, dare I say all of them? Um, uh, from the first album, at least, um, uh, we haven't started, uh, we haven't started playing, um, any of the second batch live yet, but who knows, maybe, maybe that'll start happening soon. But, um, yeah, people will, will hear all these Woody songs because there's only 10 on the album. And, um, and as, as we realized, once we started getting everything in order, it's not, it's not, the songs aren't super long or anything. So, uh, um, you know, we have time in the set to play, you know, scattered around the set, but we have time to essentially play all 10 of those plus, you know, another dozen of our own. So, um, so yeah, it's going to be great. We can't wait. Awesome. Yeah. I'm looking forward to hearing that. Well, if people want to know more about you, find you online by merch and, and learn about the album and all that kind of stuff, what, what's the best place for people to look for you guys? Uh, you can go to dropkickmurphys.com. And then, of course, we have an Instagram and everything, which is at dropkickmurphys. You can find me at Tim DKM. I'm not very interesting on there, but I am there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, other than that, you know, just come out to a show and, uh, and, and have a great time. Fantastic. All right, man. Well, the album sounds amazing. I'm really stoked about seeing you guys next month. And, um, yeah, I uh, wish you the best of luck out there. Thank you so much, man. It was a pleasure. Thanks to Tim for connecting with me and chatting about this new album. Check them out online. And while you're at it, give me a follow on Instagram and Facebook. It really does help the show. Like and subscribe and leave a comment as well. Until next time, everybody. Have a good one. I'll never get drunk anymore.